it starts with getting rid of the fear-based mentality of, well, who do I have to report to? Who, who do I, who is my authority? You're always looking for your authority to tell you what to do, right? But I want people to understand there are ways out of all of this. There are ways to make it so that you literally do not have to answer to anyone or anything that you do not want to. And that doesn't make you selfish. It actually puts you in a better position to help more humans. The more sovereign we have gotten, the more I have been able to help people all over the world. Hey, what's up, friends? I'm Vince Del Monte, father, husband, and the OG of online fitness marketing. For more than a decade, I've been committed to helping skinny guys pack on muscle. And after building multiple seven-figure online fitness businesses, I've achieved freedom and financial security through mentorship, hard work, and my passion for fitness. And I want to help you do the same. Recently, I've built the best mastermind coaching program that exists for fitness professionals by giving you the shortest no BS path to grow to six, seven, and even eight figures regardless of your starting level. My coaching was designed to give you the skills, systems, and support to become an industry mover and shaker and build the business and life of your dreams. Hey, what's up friends? Before we dive in, just a quick reminder of a small change we've made to the release schedule of the podcast. Mondays with Men of Bedrock are always going to be conversations with fit, disciplined, highly intentional men. Thursdays are for some of the very best teachings I can bring to you to start, build, or grow your business. And Saturdays are when we'll drop an interview with one of my best students or a special talk from one of my speakers at Vision Day or a live event. Across the week, we're covering muscle, marriage, mindset, mission, and money. Choose what serves you best, and if it does, please pay it forward by sharing it on your social media, writing us a review, or sending it to a friend to listen to. The price to pay is to pay it forward. Now, today's episode is really personal because we're talking about something that impacts every single one of our children in a very significant way, the formal education system. This conversation should mean something to you. For many of us, our children will spend more time being taught by teachers and a system that we know very little about than they will by you or me. We're not here to knock education. My brother Adrian has been a teacher for the past 15 years and I will trust my kids with them any day of the week. But too many of us are passive about our kids' education. Dads, do you know what your kids are learning? Do you know the names of your kids' teachers? Do you know what subjects they love? Which ones do they struggle with? Often we just let our wives handle all this. That feels soft to me. Men, you need to care about these things. How can you know more about golf, cars, and some special local sports team than you do about what your kids are learning and doing for eight hours a day? Today's guest, Matt Baudreau, is the man to talk to about all of this. Matt is the founder of hundreds of schools around the world that resist the typical education model. Rather than rely on systems and programs that strip young heroes of their sovereignty and ability to truly learn, Matt's schools focus on independent thought, self-awareness, and authentic character growth. It's what every parent wants for their child, but most are too afraid or too apathetic to pursue. Men, this cannot happen any longer. In today's conversation, Matt paints a picture of why the current education system is failing and what parents must do to help their children become free thinkers and independent learners despite that. 
My favorite part is when Adrian and Matt talk about how wildly capable our children are, how they can do extraordinary things if we create the space they need to thrive. Personally, I pray massive prayers over my children and that they would be biblically anchored, Christ-centered, and world dominators, and that the Lord would lift them up and become leaders and empire builders. I pray massive things over my kids and the environment they're in will dictate whether those prayers can come to fruition This conversation will leave you with so much to think about. I apologize for the long intro, but I don't want you to miss a thing. So sit back, relax. Adrian, Matt, take it away, brothers. Thanks, Vince. I am here with Matt, and we are pumped for another great conversation. Uh, Matt, welcome to the Vince Del Monte Podcast Show. Thanks for being with me. Honor is absolutely mine, brother. I appreciate you. So, you know, I've been excited for this conversation ever since I found your stuff. And you talk so much about education, and I've been a teacher. Currently, I'm a teacher, 16 years now. So I am really excited. But before we get into any of that, give us a sense. This is our this is our go to starting question. A day in your life. Um, start the night. Start at night. Like start the night before, and then what does a day look like? You're you've got all sorts of cool things going on. So give us a picture. That's awesome, man. I love that you said start the night before too. And that goes, we were talking just now about Craig Valentine, right? And, yeah, and that's uh, all Craig. Fin- <laughs> that's all Craig, man. So yeah, dude. So, uh, so I definitely attribute a lot of this to Craig because the night before, uh, you know, really impacts what I do the entire next day. I mean, and that was a Craig thing. He's like, dude, just get it all down because, and part of the reason that conversation happened, he and I, we were in Mexico where he, where he lives now. And, uh, you know, I, I said, man, I I'm trying to save the world here. Right. So I can't go to sleep at night. I've just got so many things like, dude, look, all right, tell you what, we're going to get everything down the night before you're going to schedule the entire day tomorrow. We're going to start taking a look at your time blocks. Right. And so, so that's where I'm at right now. Um, night before I'm planning the entire day and I have my schedule Sunday to Saturday is mapped out and I'm a time block guy where I've got specific blocks for specific things. And the night before I'm just prioritizing and making sure I know what priority one, two, and three are. I mean, that's really the most simple version, high level version of, of the night before. And so I get all that stuff out so that I can sleep peacefully. And, uh, I'm a 5.00 AM guy, get up and I go straight to straight to priority one, man. And again, I, I credit Craig to that. Uh, you know, the coffee, Coffee is ready at 5 a.m. So I jump up, grab my cup, and I get down into the dungeon, man, and start getting to work. Um, you know, and I've got all my time blocks. So I get a lot of I, my my brain fires really well earlier in the day. So I'll get my top priorities done, emails, responses, things that I need to do. Uh, we live on a farm now, so we I'll break it about seven for family chores. And we'll uh, we'll go feed the animals and, and do all of our stuff there, get my workout in, breakfast with the fam, and then I get into my deep work before lunch. Um lunchtime i i'm lucky enough to be at home so i'll do lunch with the uh lunch with the kids and then that 12:30 to 5 time block is uh, things like experiences with the kids and activities you know all three of them are into different things and that's also when i'll have my calls and my podcasts um like you and i are doing right now you know and get to get to jump on dinner time at 5 evening chores at 6 uh and then uh, one night a week i'll have our our men's calls uh, for our Apogee Strong Men's Group, and then uh, seven o'clock is is family time, man. Before I hit the rack at nine, so that's pretty freaking standard. Seven days a week. Is it like those times? How close are you on those? You're pretty dead. Like a lot of guys, I find Matt, they're uh, like they they love this idea of schedule. 
commit to it for a week or two. And then it's like, I don't want this. How about you? (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. Um, It's because it's, it's been what's made everything so effective. You know, we've got these rules that are up in our house, right? We have 11 Baudreaux family rules that, that are up in the house. And one of those is we stole from Jocko, right? It's the discipline equals freedom. That is one of the rules in our house that, that we go by and we are extraordinary. So you want to say how connected I am to it. My wife has her schedule blocks. My three kids, 12, 10, and seven have their schedule blocks as well. Really? We all know each other's schedule. We all know, our, we know when we're getting together, we know when like, they know, they all know that I'm on a podcast right now. I know exactly what all of them are doing. We have a delivery to a local restaurant scheduled today. So I know, even though I haven't been upstairs in two hours, I can tell you right now exactly where they are. They're not home. I know exactly where they're. We all know each other's schedules. This allows you to save the world. Tell That's me it. about that, right? Now, I, I want to hear about this. So uh, I tell us about your work. Like, like what, what are you, and, and, and I'd love to hear about sovereignty. Sovereignty seems to be like the mm-hmm. big banner that you, a lot of your work flies under. Mm-hmm. How, how are you working to save the world? Yeah. Um, so sovereignty is the big banner that, that I think everything under uh, flies under. But the reason I got here is because I understood the slavery part, right? The opposite of sovereignty. And I got to understand that first and got to experience that first. And so now we're helping to shift and get people into that, that sovereign, uh, sovereign way. So I always tell people, I came out of education. Um, I, I came out of schooling and I always start these conversations going, man, good people like you in the system, full support a hundred percent of the time. Right. But I am not for the school system. Mm any sense of the word. So, um, you know, I was at Stanford for, for quite a while, started seeing the game there, uh, was a public school teacher, was a public school administrator, was a private school teacher, was a private school administrator. So I left all of those to start the schools that I actually wanted to see for my own kids. So when we're talking about sovereignty, you know, I always ask people, what should education be for? Education should be, uh, for drawing out who you're meant to be. Education should be for getting what you want when you want it without harming other people, for doing what you want to do when you want to do it, for having all of this freedom. That's what I believe education is supposed to be for. Uh, And school to me is the opposite of that. School is about tying you down. It's about learning to be obedient. It's about learning to, uh, you know, follow along with whoever claims to be your authority and what they want you to do. So, Uh, Everything we do now is about uh, education and sovereignty. So I open schools that teach young people how to be sovereign individuals and and to go after their own hero's journey. Uh, I walk families through home education to show them how to, uh, to, to walk in that sovereignty. I bring young men through this rite of passage into adulthood so they can be the men who are leading society to sovereignty. I've got men, you know, Tim Kennedy and I have the men's program where we're leading men to do the same thing. I'm showing people how to get out of the, the tax system. Like it's freedom. I want to stay on sovereignty a bit, but before we do that, you know, comparison is the mother of clarity. So some people might be thinking like sovereignty and maybe they understand slavery better. And and this mm-hmm. is your, this is your contrast here. How is school like slavery or or I've heard you equated on other podcasts to like prison and and we can make the you know the basic like bells ring you do certain things people tell you to sure. obey you do 
how how do you equate that on a sort of a, a philosophical or existential level that school is restrictive school is slavery yeah the biggest uh form people don't like when i use that word usually slavery but if you look up the actual definition merriam webster's definition of slavery it fits pretty darn well and the reason is you know go back to before you were at school and do you have kids yeah yeah, three boys yeah there you go okay so all three of them walk they do there you go. Great. Yeah. So did you take yeah. them to school? Did you take them to school to learn how to walk? No. I'm assuming, I'm assuming yeah. you probably didn't, right? Because what happened was at some point, all three of your boys went from immobile to they started kind of shucking and jiving and they started crawling a little bit and they started figuring it out and they started trying. And then one day, all of a sudden they reached up and they grabbed onto a couch and they pulled themselves up and they started doing the sideways shuffle. Right. And then they got brave enough to take a step. And they started to take a step and they fell on their butt, right? And then what did you do as the parent? You went, yes, and you cheered and you're like, yeah, go get it. What were you doing? You were cheering on failure. They were failing to walk, but they were trying. And they heard you go, yes, this is fantastic. So they tried again and they failed again and they tried again. And that kept happening until eventually they were walking and then they were running, right? That is how, that, I mean, that's a microcosm for how we learn anything. We need to do that, right? And then all of a sudden you get to be five years old and you go to school and failure becomes a bad word. Don't fail. Don't fail. The, the last thing you can do is fail. We're not worried about experience. We're worried about the theory of experience. We're not going to actually have you do anything. We're going to tell you the theory of how to do everything and don't fail in how you regurgitate back the theory of how to do something. And that gets ingrained for 13 years in us to avoid failure at all costs. Who is the authority and what does that authority want to hear or see? I remember figuring out the patterns very, very early as a young person going, okay, I, I got the pattern of how to play this game well. So I'll play the game to make it look like I'm smart, to make it look like I know how to do things. And so my grades were all those A's, but I didn't know a damn thing. I knew jack shit about the world, about who I was, about what I I knew nothing. I just knew how not to fail because that was the scary thing, right? And then I came out at, at 17 and I was useless. I didn't actually know how to do anything. And, and so then your mind is now enveloped in this, ooh, okay, what does the authority want to see? Um, I better not make a mistake. I'm just going to do whatever. And that's how a lot of our young people are going into the workforce and, and hence going forward in the rest of their life. That to me is the biggest, bigger than all the CRT or the whatever you want to get upset about as far as schools. That to me is the most dangerous part of it. That we That we're creating a generation of kids that can't, think or, 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 or can't learn. They can't learn. They don't know how to learn. They've equate, they've equated learning with school. So not only can they not learn, they can't unlearn and they no longer want to learn. They're apathetic to it yeah. because to them learning means school and school sucks. Yeah. So the contrast of all of this is sovereignty. S say a little more about that. What does that mean? you know, start with that child who's pulling himself up on the couch. How is he sovereign? He's, he, tell me about that. How is he not? 
I mean, yeah. it is the, <laughs> right. How is he? Yeah, how is yeah, he yeah. Not? He's doing what he wants to do when he wants to do it. He's going after his stuff. He's not busy worried about what somebody else is thinking about him. He's not busy worrying about. He's not living in fear. Right. He's not. That's the biggest thing. He's not living in fear. We got, a, you know, the when you understand, like I said, you understand the significance, significance of slavery. I went through that process of, OK, I was living in worry. I was living in fear. I didn't know my purpose. Um, I, I had jobs I didn't like. I didn't have enough money. I cared about other people's opinions. Right. You start like I lived in all those areas. Those are all those are all because of that slave mentality. So that young child lifting himself up, taking those steps, he's completely, in, he's going in the opposite direction, right? And so all we're doing is bringing people back to that same thing where you're no longer living in that worry. You're not living in that fear. You're not playing somebody else's game. You are writing your own script, not handing it over and go, hey man, write a good one for me. Make me a background character if you want to. I love it. I I love what you're saying. I heard a stat that's disturbing that 90% of how a teacher teaches is how they were taught. Right. Like 90, right. Like what you are, because we don't get great training. I'm not sure what it's like in the States. We don't get like, you know, you get about a year of teachers college and then it's like, go, you're on your own. So I don't get to watch other teachers meant. So I, I, you know, in many respects, you probably do what you saw as, as, as a, as a person. And we know, parents know, that they had problems with their own educational experience, and yet they still come to accept it for their kids. Why, why do you think that is? Like, we we know, like, I teach Shakespeare, for example, and, and, and no one loves Shakespeare, like, the way it's taught. Yeah. It's not meant right. to be taught the way we teach it, but the way it's often taught. And yet we say, like, no, we did it. You'll do it, kids. You'll do That's it. Right. Why are people so resistant? Or is the word resistant, or they're not aware that there is a better option? Uh, because it's a religion. Because it's it's a cult mentality, right? It's the old that old saying of birds born in a cage think flying is an illness, right? So you are born into this cage, this cult mentality of here's what school looks like. And the problem is now schooling has been around for you know 150 or so years, whatever it is, as a system, right? And so you and I both neither one of us know anybody that's a hundred over 150 years old, right? So everybody is grown up in this system. We forgot that the way humans always existed prior to this was without this formalized schooling system. You learned by doing, you learned by being an apprentice, you learned by working with somebody else that was doing it. Like that's what you learn. Then all of a sudden we got this system that's put into play, which by the way, was put into play by people who didn't put it into play because of child development they put it into play because this was how to break a human spirit and get somebody to be wildly obedient in an industrial revolution. So even in your teacher's training, you're not taught anything other than how to teach within that system. You're taught to perpetuate that system. Hmm. Right? Not well, to and, actually... and, and Matt, we're, we're paid to do so also. <laughs> you were paid to do so. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. So you're paid to perpetuate that system. So everybody's grown up in it. And that's that's the problem is that it's now the it's the biggest religion in this country because 90 some odd percent of us have gone through that. So we have a very 
big emotional connection. We've been taught to fear anything that looks different than that. We've been taught all of these bad words like grades and grade level and standards and all of these things that are defined by school. And so we're afraid to go outside of anything like that, no matter what the evidence of our eyes shows us. I've had a, so I had a public school teacher who saw a little bit of enough to go, uh, and she sent her, her kid to one of my schools, right? He was uh, 12 years old. And I remember her setting up a meeting with me. He'd been at our school for about a year. And uh, she says, I got to have a meeting with you. And this is going to be a hard, hard conversation. I said, okay, so come on in. So she comes in and she says, all right. She says, first and foremost, she's a math teacher in a public school. So she says, first and foremost, she goes, I don't know if we're going to be able to afford to go here anymore because, um, you know, I, I, I'm in charge of the finances for our, our home uh, and I bankrupted us. Uh, I don't know how to make good financial decisions. So again, she's got a master's degree. She's got all the quote unquote education in the world. She's a math teacher. But when it comes to the finances, she's bankrupted their bankrupted their house. Right. So she's going out of bankruptcy. Like, Plus, there's something that just kind of worries me. You know, my son is. Um, you know, he's been here a year and yes, he's more responsible at home. Yes, he's happier. Yes, he has more friends than he's ever had. Yes, I don't have to ask him to do any of his chores anymore. Yes, he's making $2,000 a month right now in his own business, but he's still only at a fifth grade math level and that worries me. That's an emotional connection that is extraordinarily cult-like. And unfortunately, that's the norm. Is the, nor the norm is to keep up with these standards that are set and keep up with what all the other kids are doing. Correct. Yeah. To yeah. keep up with that because of what school says. And I've tried to make... I try to tackle that from as many angles as I can. I remember standing on stage for a group of my parents going, I just want to make this point very, very clear for you guys. I got straight, me, I got straight A's all through school. I never got anything less than an A because again, I was afraid to fail and I saw the patterns, not because I was uber smart. So I got straight A's all through high school, went on to get straight A's all through college, right? So I got, I got all my A's. So I knew the quote unquote, knew the stuff, right? I took a standardized math test a couple years ago to see where I was. And according to that, I was at a quote unquote sixth grade math level. Why? Because I don't use any of that stuff anymore. It's not relevant to my job. I get, if I go speak to a, a corporation, I'll go stand on stage. Companies, biggest companies in the world are paying me $25,000, $30,000 to stand on stage for an hour. I've got multiple businesses that are doing seven and eight figures. I've got... I understand math that matters, but I didn't know academic math because it didn't matter to me. Yeah. But again, people are super tied to what school says education is. They're not the same thing. Someone's going to get rattled by that math. They're going to say, well, I use Pythagorean theorem every day. I, awesome. I, I do use, how would you respond to that? That's great. Go for it. And don't pretend you're the majority. That's the thing, right? Education is wildly personal. All education is self-education. So there are a lot of things that Adrian uses every day that Matt does not. And there's a lot of things that Adrian and Matt might use that Vince does not. Yeah. Do you, was there ever an age where we had it right? 
like education, it, it, like, is it, are, are we trying to rebuild something new here? No, let me rephrase. Are we trying to build something new or rebuild something we've lost? That's a great question. That I love the way you frame that. We are trying to get back to what we just did naturally anyways, right? We are schooling is something that has been done to people where we need to strip schooling away to get back to your natural state of where you're educated. Anything that you are doing to continue to grow, you are in a natural state of education. You can't help but be educated by trying to move forward with some sort of vision, some sort of purpose, trying to accomplish things in life. So what we used to do prior to that, like I said, you had to act, you got up and you did the things that mattered for the day to day. I love being on this farm because my kids get up and they've got the animals don't care what's going on. The animals need to be fed. Things need to be watered. Things need to be, you know, grass needs to be mowed. Things need to be cut. Fences need to be fixed. Trees need to be chopped. All of those things need to get done. And since I've got to do it, I bring them along with me and they're learning how to do that. We've got multiple businesses, some that are attached to the farm, some that are attached to other things. That's how we provide income. And guess what? My kids come along with me. So they understand not just how to do the chores on the farm, but how does the business side of the farm operate? You know where they are right now? They're out selling to a restaurant. My kids are there. They're delivering. They're selling. Yes, my wife is driving, but they're going in. They're delivering. They're collecting the invoice and the, and the money. They're doing the invoicing, collecting the money. Like they're doing all of that. Then they're going to come back in. They're going to plug it into the spreadsheets. They're going to take a look at the P&L. They're going to take a look at the cash flow because that's how we do our business. And they're coming along with us. That's how everybody used to operate, right? We didn't have the same fancy technology, but the concept was the same. And then all of a sudden we started saying, no, 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 we got to pull the kids out of the home and have school done to you. Mm. And that's where it all started to go downhill. So, so use it, stay on the farm for a second and then, and then we'll come back yeah. to the downhill. If this were school, right? Let's yeah. say they were, uh, what subject would it be? You know, far farming. That's the whole yeah, yeah what subject I, I know, is that, I, I right? Because everything I, works in subjects somehow. That's right, right. right? So yeah. let's say it would it would be more like okay, feed the cows twice, and then of course you've got a problem with one of the cows. She's not feeding properly. She she's getting sick. If you follow your school model, you would just follow those basic instructions. What you've created is scenarios where your kids have to like think. Oh, great. What what do I have to do now? Like what's this isn't working. The system is no longer working. I have to think outside the box. I, I have to think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. We use the term outside the box to mean anything that's not school. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Thinking. See, all my all language is. here is messed here. <laughs> it's all it is. School yeah. is yeah. but it's school has screwed up all of us with that kind of stuff, right? So that's all it is, is you're forced to think. Life creates scenarios where you have to think. That's the that's the beauty of it is you can't help but be educated unless you're just sitting there doing nothing. So when did it go downhill? 150 years ago? Is that is that when like when we started schools and this was for the I think I think this I you know I my my masters is in you know early medieval literature so I like the history a bit because I, I, I think it teaches yeah. us so much. So when did it go downhill? Yeah, have you read so but have you read John Taylor Gatto by any chance? No, I haven't. Okay, so you and I both have gone through the the system to become public school educators, right? I, I have spoken to thousands upon thousands. I've worked with thousands upon thousands of educators in this country. Not a single person who has gone through that said part of their training was to read anything by John Taylor Gatto, ever. And there's a reason for it. If you read it while you're going through it, you'd have quit. You'd stop. You'd probably leave. You wouldn't have gone through with your training. So John 
speaks to this far more eloquently than I can, but he speaks to the history of schooling. So he's got some great books. John passed away a couple of years ago, but he was a treasure. He was actually a New York State Teacher of the Year, uh, taught in the public schools for 30 years. So he wasn't somebody that was speaking out of theory. He was speaking from being in the trenches, just like you and I, right? So um, John does a great job of outlining the history of this being a Prussian system that was brought over specifically to make workers. There's a reason Rockefeller poured in what is the equivalent of $1.2 billion today into the schooling system to make sure that it was widespread at a government level here in this country. He said, I want a nation of workers, not thinkers. This Prussian military system. Wait, wait he said that? I want a nation of workers, not thinkers. Correct. That's a direct quote. That's a direct quote. I may have butchered it a little on yeah, the, yeah. but that's, that's it. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so that's essentially what was pushed on us was a government level obedience training to get a nation of workers. That's why it was designed to look very much like the, you know, we call it the factory model, right? And it's a factory model for industrial revolution. The world has arguably changed quite a bit in 150 years. School sure as hell has not. Yeah, because you still get, are there factor, you know, is there much of the factory and the industrial, you know, kind of stuff going on? No, there's still some, uh, but the model is wildly effective at creating workers, not thinkers. Biggest, you know, people listening to this, parents, people who went through the system, they're like, yeah, like, yes, this is making a lot of sense. But in terms of like day to day, if you were saying to me, I'm in a classroom right now, you got to get rid of those three things real quick. Get rid of grades, get rid of grade levels, get rid of subjects, get rid of of people being uh, put in these small groups of only, you know, other people of their same date of manufacture, get rid of uh, authoritarian teachers and make them guides. Uh, there's, I don't even think I could limit it to three. No, no. Okay. So let's, let's do a few of these. So, and, and people like, you know, my five-year-old is in an SK class. He can mm -hmm. read, right. But he'll be in that room for, you know, uh, until June, like he'll be in that root room. If you were mapping it out, what, what should I do with him instead? What's the alternative for my five-year-old who's ahead of, you know, standard or grade standard? What, 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 what would, what would be the strategy for him? So the pathway for anybody is and you're talking about in school or getting out of school because the pathway yeah, no, okay, okay. So these, these are, these are, out of school. these are two separate things so before we paint the picture of your schools and that's where yes. i i want to go as the, as the yeah. future here some parents are going to say well look i i can't go this year like i can't i can't i can't do oh, and and for some people finances uh you know that's a reality a reality you have to work through. It's always something you can overcome, but it is certainly something you'd have to work through. So if, if I've got kids in the current public school system right now, how can I as a parent help, like help him think without this system just taking his sovereignty? Got it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, for helping on that. So I've had a couple of great conversations with um, two guys that I'm uh, a big, big fan of, um, and I've gotten to know a little bit both. One's a gentleman named Patrick Bet David, and one is a gentleman named Seth Godin. Um, and Seth is somebody that uh, is, I, I really credit him to me uh, 
making the move to get out of the, the, what I call the conveyor belt schools and going, okay, I'm, and just kind of putting my foot down and going, I got to create something different. Um, but the conversations that I've had with both of those guys that, that align as they talk about the fact that their kids go to a conveyor belt school or sets went to a conveyor belt school, but they make sure that they get their education when they come home and they make sure they know the game they were playing while they were there. Right. So, and, and that's for parents that are in that uh, scenario, by the way, you're put into that scenario. This is part of that whole sovereignty thing where it's, you feel like, shoot, school is free. So I should, I'm just paying for it out of my taxes. Anyways, yeah. we all, we both have to work. We've got to both be out of the home. We have to give up our kids to the government indoctrination center for 13 years in order for us to make a living, right? All, none of that was accidental either. The fact that that's, you know, the commonplace. And so, and I'm not blaming anybody for that. And I get that that's a full on situation. But I think what you need to do is understand the game well enough to be able to explain to them as well. Hey, while you're there on campus, man, your job is to just try to have as good of a time as you can while being as respectful as you can. And your job is to build relationships. That's the game that that's being played right there. Build relationships. How can you lead the kids that that don't have a lot of friends, how can you pour into them and, and make sure that you're the nicest, you know, you're the kindest person that they know? How can you stand up for the people that need to be stood up for? Um, how can you take the things that you are, uh, you know, learning and find some way to relate it to your life? How can you get excited about it? Because school, it's, I would make it a game like, hey, school's going to be there to try to take the love of learning away from you. How can you make it exciting again? How can you pour that into or tie that into what it is you want to do and have great relationships with the teachers and with the other students? Like play that game the entire time. That should be your focus. And then we can work on the education part when we get home right? and, and actually diving into who you want to be, what problems, what interesting problems do you want to solve? What responsibilities do you want to take on? Uh, we'll we'll do all that. What what relationships do you want to build? Who do you want to network with? All of those things that actually matter. We'll work on that when you get home. Yeah, that's how we frame it. Yeah, I love that. So you play the game. Um, school will take your love of learning. This this one's mm-hmm. landing for me because um, I love teaching, Matt. I, I sure. absolutely right. I love being in the room with my kids for sure. So so talk to me as a teacher in the system what what could parents sort of ask for actually no talk to teachers first teachers here are some things you can do you're before we're not leaving the system at this point in the conversation we're in the system what are some things we can do like can i just stop grading like have you seen teachers just stop grading like just 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. so be i was always what i called creatively insubordinate (laughs) <laughs> I like so that. <laughs> I didn't worry about the standard. So I got, so I tell you, I got brought into a superintendent's office and the superintendent was like, Hey, we have a problem going on. I was like, okay, what's that? Well, you don't listen to anything you're at being asked to teach. You're not worried about the whole standards thing from what we understand. You just automatically said everybody gets A's. I'm like, yep. And like, well, what do you like? This is a problem because you can't do this, but here's the other problem. We don't know what to do with you because you're all the student's favorite teacher. You're the staff's favorite person to work with. You're the parent's favorite teacher to work. Like there's all of these things going on. So we don't know what to do, you know, with all this, right? So that creative insubordination. Yes, I have seen teachers and I actually know a full system of charter schools that go, hey, automatically, look, you've all got A's. So get all that stuff out of the way. You've got A's, okay? We're going to put subjects. We're going to do a report card. We're going to, you have the A's. Let's have fun in here. Let's let's get you inspired. 
So let's take the grades off the table, man. Let's dive in. We're going to solve interesting problems. We're going to take anything we're supposed to be learning in this quote unquote subject. And we're just going to build it around real world stuff that matters to you guys. We're going to tie it to your interests and we're going to focus on nothing but that while we are here, wherever it goes, it goes. We're not going to worry about homework. We're not going to worry about the great. We're not going to worry. This isn't school. This is time for us to get after your hopes and dreams. That's the way you operate within the system. And you've got to be willing to lose your job if you want to educate. Because here's the deal. At the end of the day, you and I are sitting here talking. I can go, hey, Adrian, I'm going to teach you all about this pen. And I'm going to give you this pen right here. I'm going to give this to you. If you don't take it, I don't have any right to tell anybody a story about how I gave Adrian a pen. Because you never took it. You never took it. You never received it. So just because we're in a classroom and we're pouring our heart out to teach something that they don't care about, if they don't ever receive it, did we actually teach them anything or did we pretend to teach them something? Because they did not receive it. That's why I'm saying education is wildly personal. So if, if you're unable to transmit a piece of your soul and that inspiration right, to them and to impart on them self-confidence, to impart on them self-awareness, you haven't actually been able to do anything. And I bet there are so many good, you included. I, I can already, I mean, you've got that D, educator DNA, right? So you have that to give to them. But if you operate within the confines of the system over here, you're going to do it less than you could if you just ditch those things altogether. Matt, this sounds great, right? Like this is, you know, the, the school of education that I, as an English teacher, the number one thing that makes me different in my class is we have one core text that we read together, everything else the kids choose. So, you know, we've yeah. built classroom libraries. I took it from the model of Nancy Atwell, like global teacher of the year. This sounds so good. Like school is supposed to be fun. Let's let's follow your passions. Let's let you learn. I keep coming back to this little kid pulling himself up on the couch. Um, why don't teachers do this? This is like obvious. Like this is obvious. Like, like what, like we're just, we're just stuck in the matrix. Is that what's holding us back here? Yeah. Is that, that it? Like it, it seems too simple to this. <laughs> it is, but you know why it, you know why simple doesn't work is because people are afraid. Oh, um, they're afraid. They're afraid to there. Some of them are afraid to lose their job, right? They're afraid to buck the status quo. So they're afraid to lose their job by doing things this way. They're afraid of the ridicule of the other teachers who it makes very uncomfortable. That's a big one. That's a huge one, right? Yeah. Because I know for a fact, I had some of my other you know, peers, anytime I was educating, I had some of my peers that were like, yes. And then I had some of my peers that were like, F this guy because he's doing that, right? And because the students now come to my classroom and they're like, this sucks. Mr. B does it this way, right? So you become this pariah. So they don't like that. They don't want to hear because some of the, you know, again, we go back to this religious, uh, emotional connection we have to what school looks like. So the other parents get pissed at them. Uh, and then some of the teachers are just so like, no, no, I was trained this way. And I was trained this way because this is the way education is supposed to be. It's supposed to be like this, right? It's just like the, I have great friends in the medical industry, but so many of them, I mean, I've got friends that are just ridiculously unhealthy, out of shape. Um, you know, I mean, just some of the sickest people I know, great humans, extraordinarily sick. And they think I'm crazy because I don't take pharmaceuticals. 
you know, and it's like, because they've been, but Hey, and you're, Oh, Matt, I'm sure you know better than me. I went through a whole bunch of, you know, these years of schooling and training. Yeah. But I'd have to agree with the premise of what you got trained on in the first place. If I think that's crap all from the get go, it doesn't matter what you were trained in. Right. And it's the same thing on the school side. And so a lot of people are afraid to buck that trend too. It's always fear. It's fear. It is fear um, of being different. Now, there are some good things at school. Number one being, as you have correctly correctly said, is is relationships, right? Like how character. So again, before we go to your schools, if your kids give parents a few more tips, your kids are going to go to the system school. What did you refer to it as? The government indoctrination section center. Um, Kids, here's what I want you to do. This is the game. Are there any other things that you see in the current, you know, the the formal education system that have value, like uh, I don't know, sp- like sports or or you know, like um, are there things that are like get parents get your kids in that stuff? If if moving into a um, like one of your schools is not an option at this point, here's some other things for your kids. Yeah, I mean, I think sports can be. I think sports can be a great part of that. There's a lot of learning. Sports are a great microcosm for 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 life as long as there's not a bunch of you know, garbage agendas, agendas being infused into all that too. They're a great microcosm for life. There's a great, I, I love, you know, you having to work and develop relationships with other people and having to compete against others and having to do so in a public arena and either succeeding or failing in public. Like I think all of those things are wildly valuable. So yeah, sports are a huge part. The relationships you're developing are a huge part with other kids and with the, you know, the great educators that are, that are there within the system. Those are, um, those are the the games worth playing while you are there. Again, I would argue that you can do those things outside of school as well. So if you have the means or the willingness to make it happen, I, I really think you it's a moral obligation for your kids to make that happen. But I think when you're there, those are those are the two biggest things to take advantage of, obviously, honestly. And and some of the, you know, maybe there's some of the clubs and, and things like that that you can get involved in too. Debate, you know, if there's any like speech debate. Um, if you're lucky enough to be in a, a, a school that's got, you know, a theater, a, a good theater program or a, uh, you know, a trades kind of programs, take advantage of those things, man. Get some real life skills. Yeah. Um, I think those things are great if they're still there, they're still there and still available. Okay. Someone's listening to this, Matt, and they're going to be like, yeah, must be nice. Must be nice for you. You get paid twenty five or thirty thousand dollars every time you go on a stay. I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm using your life. Yes. The money, the yes. money. People are thinking about the money right now. How do you? Yes. What do you do with that one? I love that one because I get it all the time. It must. I get that. It must be nice. And you know what? It is freaking nice. It is nice. It is. But you want to know why it's nice? Because I didn't grow up in money. Because I grew up being abused. Because I put myself through college, got in a massive amount of debt, and was living in a Toyota Corolla, a 1982 bright yellow sheepskin seat Toyota Corolla. Not even a nice Corolla, Matt. Not even a nice Corolla, (laughs) right? Because I was living in a Corolla, because I had the experience of going through the grocery store and then getting up to the uh, checkout and having them go, you've got no money, and I've had to go put all of the groceries back. Because I had the experience of making $30,000 a year with a wife and a child. Because I've had all of those experiences. That's why this must be nice. And that's why it is so freaking nice, right? Because I decided 
hey, okay, I'm going to go ahead and make the sacrifices I need. I'm going to work two jobs simultaneously so that I can build all of what I want to build. I'm going to work seven days a week at one point over seven years straight in multiple jobs to build these schools that I want to build so that my kids could go, which then in turn made me experienced enough to have a little bit of wisdom to share where now I'm making good money when I stand on a stage or, or whatever. So yeah, it is nice because yeah. I sacrificed enough to make it nice. Yeah. So, so tell me about your schools. Uh, this, this is what I really want to hear about. Yeah. What, what, what paint us a, a model of a free sovereign. We've used so much good diction here. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. How do your schools function? Yeah. So um, from a, you know, one of the questions we get a lot is, Hey, give us a 30 second elevator pitch. And I always tell people, all right, man, come back to me when you have more than 30 seconds. Cause I can't, I can't give you something in 30 seconds. You know, well, what is, okay. Just tell me what the curriculum is. All right. Well, the curriculum is self-awareness because you've tried enough things to know what kind of things you're really good at, what you're bad at, what you love, what you don't. Um, and self-confidence because you've tried a lot of really, really hard things and you failed a whole bunch, but you've also had some victories there too. So now you're actually confident, not just cocky. And you actually have something that when you put it on your resume, it means something, right? So there's the curriculum. So your curriculum is self-awareness and self-confidence. That's the curriculum. Okay. That's the curriculum. Yep. That's exactly right. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of give you the, the K through, you know, quote unquote K through 12 ish. Right. So, um, these young heroes are in mixed age groups that we call studios. And so when I talk about a studio, it's a, a group, it's, a, you know, it's, that's the classroom and they're roughly the same age ish, but there's usually three, four years uh, in between all of the students. Right. So we've got a studio, you might have a, a younger one that's like four and five year olds, but then you have one that's like six through 10 ish. Another one that's kind of middle school, you know, 11 through 13, 14 ish. And another one that's high school ish. Those are your main studios that you're working with the majority of the day. But the reality is you're always going to be working with everybody there. So everybody knows everybody else, right? Um, you start the day in your studios and we start the day first and foremost in our, in kind of like Socratic circles, but they're standing up, they're looking each other in the eye, they're saying good morning, they're shaking hands, um, you know, getting back to some good old fashioned manners kind of thing, right? Then they're going to dive into uh, their launch for the day. So it's usually a Socratic discussion of some sort to start the day. Uh, and they're they're going to learn about civil discourse, they're going to dive into a hard topic, and they're going to learn to have a hard conversation but they've already established the rules of engagement of what a good conversation looks like. So the topic they learn, it doesn't, it becomes secondary. Any topic they discuss becomes secondary. I remember when George Floyd, that whole thing was going down. The best conversation I heard about George Floyd was a group of middle school students because they understood the rules of engagement on a good conversation. And they're able to go, okay, well, here's my point that I'm going to articulate. And here's the evidence that I'm going to bring. The other side can go, well, here's my point. Here's my evidence. They're willing to take a motion out of it and go, okay, interesting. I may switch sides right now because your evidence seems to be better than my evidence, right? And they're going to talk through this and they realize at the end of the day, Adrian and Matt may completely disagree on this, but we can still be friends and still move forward. 
Yeah, I, I love this. I, I always tell my students, my grade 11, uh, what's that, yeah. state, juniors? Um, yep. d- uh, rhetoric was the first thing like the Greeks had to learn, right? Like that, yes. like this idea of like being able to have conversations. Okay, before you go, I mean, we're still at 9 a.m. here or or whatever time your school yep. starts. Yeah. Yeah. What would what would um a group of let's say six to eight year olds discuss? Give me an ex- like that. That's so cool to me. What what kind of topics would they dive into? I'm putting you on the spot a bit. From a very high level, our our overarching year is broken down into uh, multiple sessions. Right. So we have sessions of six or seven weeks at a time. Okay. That six or seven week period there's going to be an overarching focus, an overarching kind of an interesting problem to solve, right? And an exhibition of work at the end. And then you're going to have, so you have a big old exhibition and then you're going to have a week or two break. So there's always kind of this, it's it's really energy management, right? For everybody, because you have this huge thing we're going after, boom. And then we got like, okay, and we'll go decompress for a week or two. We'll come back. And now there's a new interesting problem to solve, right? A new thing to dive into. So those conversations to start the day are often based on conversations around the overarching thing. So let's say the uh, six or seven week, you know, quest is going to be on uh, NASA. And at the end of the, at the end of the seven weeks, we're going to have, you know, your overarching big project is we're going to have a big public exhibition. You guys are all going to be building rockets and you're going to be testing out different fuels. And then when everybody's here, we're going to shoot our rockets up and we're going to see whose rocket goes the highest. Right. And then we're going to see what kind of stuff we can, whatever we can pull out of that and reflect on. Right. So our morning conversation um, might be something like uh, we show on the screen the Challenger from 1986. The Challenger goes up and explodes, right? I remember watching that as a kid in second grade. I remember watching that. We were like, ooh, everybody's all excited. And then it exploded. And we're like, oh, my gosh, it just shuts off the TV, right? Like powerful, impactful. We're, we we focus on the hero's journey. So we want impactful moments to be able to wrestle through hard decisions is what we want for these kids, right? So that that explodes. Then we might show Ronald Reagan after that when because he was the president at the time and he had to give a national address about that instance, right? So we'll show him giving that address and then we'll turn the TV off and we'll go, okay, young heroes, you are now Ronald Reagan. This just happened in your country. You now have to decide, do you A, double NASA's funding so that something like this never happens again. We make that a huge priority. Or B, you eliminate NASA altogether. Space exploration is done forever so that that never happens again. And then you have a discussion, right? And you don't get to pick a middle. Oh, no, I think you keep it. No, no, no. Hard decision A or B. Polarize. It doesn't matter if that quote unquote answer seems to be something in the middle because most often that's where we want to go is to go, well, let's get the best of both worlds. I get that. No, we want to actually make you think. So we want to force you to choose one or the other. And then we're going to have a discussion around that. Right. So we'll have a conversation like that in the morning that gets energy up, man. It's oh, exciting. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're putting yourself into the shoes of another heroic person having to make a hard decision. You're getting those reps in. You're taking that wobbly step and falling down so that it's someday you take that step and you're super, super sturdy, 
right? They're getting the reps in for thinking and making hard decisions and having hard conversations because so much of life depends on being able to do that. So let me let me ask you a few questions because I was listening very carefully with my educator brain. Here are words you did not say. You did not say students. You said you said heroes. That was your and there's a couple other words. Uh, you said the word exhibition. I think that's in place of like test or and I love the idea of sessions slash studios instead of classrooms slash whatever. Just your diction is important. I think I think it is. It be, words matter because in the listener's mind right now they're like, yes. well, heroes. That's just students. How is that different? How is a hero not just like a student? Because a student is somebody that is subject to the authority putting something on top of him or her the entire time. A hero, we refer to Joseph Campbell's work, The Hero's Journey. Oh, yeah. A hero is on this never-ending cycle, this never-ending journey of going through hard things, coming out on the other side, bringing something back, and then starting all over again, right? It's that cycle of perpetual growth. So that for us is why we, you know, on the surface level, why we call them heroes instead of students. The student just refers, it just it infers that we are doing something to them the entire time. I always use the analogy of a of a garden. And I say, look, man, if, if you're growing flowers in your garden, school would be like you plant the flower and then you go out and you tell the flower exactly what to do every single day. And you're like, you better freaking grow. And this is how you're going to grow. And I'm going to grade yeah. you on how to grow, right? Where the reality is what we need to do is just make sure the environment is right. Make sure they're getting enough water, but not too much. Make sure the sun's right. Make sure the soil's good. If we make sure the environment is right, the flower is going to grow to the best of its ability. We don't actually have to do anything to the flower. Yeah, It's the same thing with the, with the heroes, man. We just need to make sure the environment's right and they're going to kick ass. Yeah, I, I like this concept of, um, of the hero's journey. I had um, Ryan King on the show a while ago, and that's how we framed the conversation. I said, can we talk about life as the hero's journey? So we had a good time. But one one of the pieces of the hero's journey, and, and I didn't, and I didn't hear you say this word either. You didn't say the word teachers. In the hero's journey, there's like the mentor. Um, That's different. Yeah. What role do adults serve in your, in your class? No, yeah. not in your classrooms. In in your in, learning in environment. Yeah. The best the best guides right are exactly that. They're mentors, right? So I want you to think about it from a parenting perspective. Okay, if you are the guide, you are the mentor to those three young boys you have. I'm going to ask you, Adrian, personal question. When your young men are 30, they're all in their 30s, do you want them to have to live with you to survive? Of course not. Of course not. You want them to be self-reliant. You want them to be able to handle. Do you still want to have a good relationship with them? Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, of course you do. Right. But you don't want them to have to be dependent upon you. You want them to be independent people doing their thing, providing, you know, benefit to society, resilient, on fire for whatever they're doing, purpose driven. You want them to have. A, and then, hey, by the way, you have a relationship with them. The mentor's job is to do exactly that. You want to be the inspiration. You want to be somebody that is able to lift eyes to the horizon, to be able to push back and, and get them to think a little bit or to look at something differently or to question their own beliefs. You want them to do all of those things, but without having an agenda of your own. And ultimately, you want to get yourself 
out of the way so that there's still a voluntary relationship, but they don't need you. That's a hard position to take because the best guides become invisible quickly. At the end of the day, you should have an entire 150-ish student campus, 150 heroes running the campus at two adults. That's what that those would be your numbers. Those would be the ideals. Yep. Yeah, my, my ratio is one to fifteen on anything from my admin. That's just just yeah, as a I know use these numbers, right? That's our ratio. That's one the to school. 15. That's the school ratio, right? Where I think a good education ratio should be completely opposite. You should be getting as close to fifty to one, hundred to one as you possibly can, because they're so driven, self motivated, and able to run not just the day to day within their own studios, but the entire business of the campus without you. Yeah. I love this. The last, okay. So heroes, mentors, Yep. talk about exhibitions. Yeah. What's, what's, who's, who's on display? Is it the, the work, the learning, the kid, all of the above? Like what is, what is the exhibition all, of? All the above, man. It's just the work and it's, so it, it needs to be their work. And by the way, that means they can fail. They may it may completely screw it up. So if parents are wanting a carefully curated, you know, presentation that the adults made sure the kids look perfect, they're going to be in the wrong spot because they may show up to a cluster F of, you know what, because the kids, something didn't work and the heroes screwed something up here or something like they had, they were charged to, you know, put together an entire city. Um, and they had to build some of it out of Legos, some of it out of wood hammer nails. They had to 3D print some of it. They had to get all of it to come together. And then they had to run electricity to the entire thing. And they were going to flip the switch to come on in front of the parents. And they flipped it and it didn't come on. Now they got to reflect, right? What are we after? Are we after learning or are we after the appearance of learning? Are we after something that the, right? It's like the the parents that stay up all night to do their kids, you know, fourth grade mission, whatever. And they're going to build it all for them and stuff, right? With the glitter? They put the, the glitter, glitter. All, yeah, parents, right? stop yeah. glitter. <laughs> yeah. So they're just, it's the, it's the facade of learning, right? Hey, by the way, that's college too. If I tell parents yeah. like, hey, are you care, do you care about an education or do you want the appearance of an education? Because you're very quick to drop a hundred grand to go to college but you wouldn't give your kid a hundred grand to start a business. Well, they might lose it. Okay. We're going to lose a hundred grand in college too, but one of them, you're going to really learn a lesson and the other one's college. So what are you after? Are you after learning or the appearance of learning? So exhibitions are all about the actual learning that takes place. They're given a problem to solve and they're asked to go about it. And whatever is going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. And they're going to reflect on that because that's what happens in the real world. I love that the kids, again, I'm coming back again to that kid trying to climb up on the coach. He's he's actually doing it for him himself. Like this is what's what's happening. Um, what would success no, sorry. My, my question is, okay, next step. I I I believe in you, Matt. I believe in your vision. Um here's my objections. I'm gonna I, I'm sure you hear all of these. My wife and I both work. What what are we going to do? Am I going to quit my job and do this? Is that what you're proposing? Or like to keep, because your kids are at home, but they need, your kids are little, so are they can't supervise themselves. Your wife is around. Your What does this look like if, if I want to like get out of the system and become sovereign over my family educationally, what do mm -hmm. I do? Yeah, mine are, mine are at home now because we have moved out here a year ago. I'm not going to start another school out here because I don't have the bandwidth. 
to do that and the time to do it. But my, my own kids are wildly self-directed. So yeah, the majority of the day, we know what they're doing and where they are, but we're not supervising anything. I mean, they are, they're on it. They're handling their business and we're going to see them at the designated times where we know we're going to see them. Right. How old, how old are they again? There's 12, 10 and seven. So you've got it. You've got a seven-year-old out there doing handling his business, handling his business. Can you, if you don't mind, uh, I got one of those too. I'm, I'm totally yeah. curious. What can, because I think a lot of parents, like he can't do that. He has to be supervised. He has to be supervised. He's going to get hurt. What can yeah. your seven-year-old do? What can't he do? So that's the point is that we haven't limited him and we have shown, yeah, it's, we had to show him how to operate farm equipment. We had to show him how to feed, you know, certain animals. We've had to show him how to trim goat hooves. We've had to show him how to deal with vendors that show up and how he needs to go approach, you know, the, the man that shows up to buy the the stuff and how he has to print out the, uh, the, the invoice and go, this is it. And here's how much you owe us. And here, I'll take a picture of the receipt. You can hold that and you can take that with you. Um, here, let me bring you, like, we've had to show him how to do all of those things, but our, you know, one of the biggest things that school has done is, is, is made us believe that young people are incapable. I always tell people the word teenager, the word teenager, that didn't exist until 1944. Is that right? Yep. We just, we created this cultural word to basically say for a, a you know, 10 year period of time, you're just going to be a jackass and take time. No, wildly capable, wildly capable. So um, my, so my seven-year-old is taking care of uh, chores. He's able to, you know, he and his sisters are able to make every single meal if they needed to. Now we like to go enjoy the meals with them. Sometimes, most of the time we cook them, but sometimes they do. And if we're not available, they always will. Like they're yeah. going to take care of their own meals. Right. So he can take care of, of all of that. He is directing his own academics. He's got his own goals that he is setting for academics. And so he will take care of his schedule and dive in. He'll put himself through a workout if he needs to put himself through a workout, because that's also part of the daily schedule, right? Like he'll do anything that an adult is supposed to do. Everything you say sounds awesome. And I know people are like, that's unrealistic, man. That might be nice for you, but it's unrealistic. I'm playing devil's advocate. I really of do course. believe in what you're saying here. Yeah, um, what gives you confidence that this works? Like what gives you confidence that your seven-year-old is like all these things, this workout and the schedule and he's directing his own goals and cooking meals and your daughters too, what gives you confidence that it's going to... Well, let's define that. What does that mean it's going to work? That, that's a great... See, I, even as I said it, I heard myself saying to you, here's what I here's what I heard myself saying. Right. How do you know your seven-year-old is going to get a job in the system? That's that's what I, that's right? what I was sort of... Isn't implied. that interesting? Yeah, that's right. That, that I, is... I heard myself saying it. Yes, that's what's interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, I have had 18-year-olds, yeah. so... I had an 18 year old at one of my campuses who walked off stage and the day he walked off stage, he went and took on, uh, and it was, a, and he did have a job. I always, uh, I want young people, I want people to do whatever they want to, whatever they truly want to do. If that means working for somebody else, because you love that job and that person and, and there's a, or, you know, whatever, I want you to do it. Um, when he, but, but I, cause I always, I'm a big fan of being self-employed for a number of reasons, especially when we start talking about that sovereignty piece. Right. But there are times to go work for, for other folks. And I think that's a great, that can be a great thing. So I had this young man who's 18 stepped off stage after graduation and went straight into a career level position, making six figures at 18 
with an organization as a nationwide company that had never until him hired anybody without a college degree. They changed their entire company policy to make sure they could have him be there. And his mom said, oof, this scares me that he's not going to college. And I said, why? Because I want him to be able to have a college degree so we can get a good job. He's making six figures as an 18-year-old in a nationwide organization. So she wasn't worried about a good job. She was worried because it wasn't the same thing that they're everybody's told to do, right? So that's the same thing. We're looking and we say, what, what do we define works as doing what everybody else does? That's how we define it. I don't live my life like anybody else does. And hey, that's part of the reason I make more money. I'm in better shape. I have better relationships. I'm more at peace up here than any other man that I know. I know how to legally not pay taxes. I am working every single day on the things that I love to do. I don't say yes to anything I don't want to say yes to. I don't talk to anybody I don't want to talk to. None of that is normal. But it's freaking great. And it works. <laughs> and it works. <laughs> and it works. It, it, yeah. And, yeah. And now they're just following along and doing that with me. And anybody that knows, you know, my, my young kids, man, and I say this, am I, am I biased? Of course. Am I wrong? Nope. Uh, people say, Hey, how do you get your, you know, how do you discipline your kids? They're so like the, the most mature, like responsible. I said, I don't discipline them. We have taught them to be disciplined humans. Hmm. It's vastly different. And they're also at peace at a greater extent than I see most adults. They don't live in fear. They enjoy their lives. They're happy. They're resilient. They push through so much. They work through so much. Like my daughter, that my 12-year-old, the book she's writing right now, she's like 200 pages in. How, how easy is it for you to get your grade 11 students to write a 200-page paper for you? 200 words, try. <laughs> right. Wow. What's the book about? Uh, she hasn't let me read it yet. Um, it's a fictional, but it's a, yeah, it's a fictional book. Um, and she said, it's kind of like twisty turny kind of, uh, knowing her, she's putting in some, uh, some kind of Stephen King esque sort of, sort of like, you know, kind of stuff. She's, she's extraordinarily creative and she's not a macabre kind of person at all. She's, she works out at a horse farm too, and does horse lessons and teaches kids how to other kids, how to ride horses. And she, and my, my, uh, other daughter, we had horses at our ranch in California because they bought the horses um, with the businesses, the money that they made in the businesses that they had started. They bought horses when they were nine and seven. It's it's just this just speaks to parents because I, I do think the parents have to model it. Right. The parents have to think differently. Right. And that's where it starts. And is, is the central and we're coming close to the end of our time, so I want to be respectful, but is the central reason that parents wouldn't do things you've done, what is it? Is it fear? Is that what it is? It's always fear. It's always fear. Yeah, fear. because I'm no, I am no smarter than anybody listening to this podcast. Mm -hmm. My kids are no more special than anybody else's kids. Any adult that is listening to this podcast is capable of doing the exact same things that I've done. And their kids are capable of doing the exact same things or whatever that looks like for their own family. We're not special. We just looked at things differently and decided to work really, really hard for a really long time 
to get to this level, right? So, I mean, you guys, you know, the fitness industry, uh, you know, it very well, right? And you guys mm. know it inside and out. And you know, when it comes to being in shape, there's a lot of work that goes into that up front, right? There's a lot of, cons- you have to be very, very consistent over time with your nutrition, with the way you're working out. You, you got to be consistent over time. But if you will put in the work over time, as you get older, it's easier to at least maintain some level of fitness that's above everybody else's because you put in so much time, right? This is the exact same thing. We put in so much time to get to this level of sovereignty and to get to this level of, of uh, independence that now it's pretty dang easy. And parenting at this point is extraordinarily easy for us because we were so consistent for so long. Same thing. Yeah. I love it. Um, why do you think your message is landing for people right now? Like, it's just, I'm just looking at your stuff online, your engagement, just like it's, it's landing for people. They're saying, yes, that's right. Why now? Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. And and I've asked, uh, I've asked myself that too. And I don't know that I've fully come to, to the, why I know there is some frustration with, um, the, the agendas that have become more and more obvious that have come into schools. I know there's been, you know, obviously the, you guys faced, you know, a lot of uh, government oversight in Toronto the last few years for a number of things. People are, I think the slavery component has just gotten so much louder and more bold and in our face that people are finally frustrated enough to go, well, what is the opposite of that? And so anything, anybody that is speaking towards, Hey, you don't have to actually play this game. It's like, okay, maybe I'm frustrated enough now. You know, I've hit bottom enough now to want to potentially do something about it. And that's the best thing I can, you know, ascertain like, you know, schools and especially I was in California during the whole 2020, you know, thing and everybody's getting shut down. We expanded. (laughs) We not only, not only did we not close any of our campuses, we added more campuses. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And the wow. kids were thriving throughout, you know, like the my, heroes, my, the heroes, man, were thriving. Mine and my, my own, like they know what's going on. They're very aware of what's going on, but they don't, it doesn't impact them as far as, you know, they want to help other people. They're, they're not impacted in terms of, you know, feeling any of it. Yeah. Oh, I love this. Holy smokes. I, 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 it's like, I have so much thinking and processing to do. Matt, you are on a lot of podcasts. Um, and so I'm assuming you're being asked a lot of, you know, similar questions from different people. I'm 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 curious, is there something on your mind maybe that you know that that you haven't talked about as much that you maybe want to share? Something that you've been processing or thinking about the future now? Um, any final thoughts here? Yeah, I um that's a really good question. And I do like that. And I think the one thing that you know, has been the pervading theme, obviously, throughout this conversation is is sovereignty, right? And so the majority of the podcasts that I'm on uh, are, are going to land, we're either going to talk education, uh, or we're going to talk, you know, masculinity, because we have the young men's program, we have the men's program. But ultimately, all of it is, is the same, it's all going in that same direction. So it's the overarching, that overarching definition of sovereignty. And I want people to understand that it starts with kind of what we were just talking about getting rid of the, the fear-based mentality of, well, who do I have to report to? Who, who do I, who is my authority? You're always looking for your authority to tell you what to do. Right. But I want people to understand there are ways out of all of this. There are ways to home educate. If you want to home educate, 
Uh, there are ways to become self-employed if you want to become self-employed. Uh, there are ways to, again, with the tax part of that, people think, oh, well, you're not to pay, you know, X percentage to the government. There are legal ways to go around that too. There are ways to make it so that you literally do not have to answer to anyone or anything that you do not want to. And that doesn't make you selfish. It actually puts you in a better position to help more humans. The more sovereign mm. we have gotten, mm. the more I've been able to help people all over the world in all of those areas. Like that's what this life is all about. The more sovereign I've gotten, the more people I have been able to help and pull them there. And that's what we're doing. So I just want people to think, uh, I want them to think a little bigger in that regard and not think, oh, well, it must be nice um, because I was just as below the nice as they may feel like they are now. They want to put in the time and work and ditch the fear. It can be just as nice for them. Yeah. And when you say, you know, we're using, it must be nice kind of facetiously, right? You're sure. You but take I get a lot it all of, the time. I assume you take a lot of hate online too for your... <laughs> a ton. A ton. And those yeah. are words yeah. that I get often. It must be nice. Oh, yeah. it must be easy for you to say. Yeah. Right. I get that a lot, man. And I understand. Um, but I also understand. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Um, where can other people find you? Um, uh, Instagram is probably where I'm most active at Matt Bodro. Everything on social is at Matt Bodro. Um, but check out what we're doing at Apogee Strong and Apogee Strong Dads. And you can always reach out to me. It's just mad at Apogee Strong. If I can help point you in the right direction on anything, I'm glad to do so. Oh, it's amazing. Thank you for being here. This is so rich. Um, I'm going to type all this up and email my whole staff. That's what I, that's my next step here, Matt. Awesome, man. <laughs> Thanks that's for awesome. being here. Yeah. Pleasure, man. And that's it for this week's episode. I hope you got something out of this one that will help you level up your mindset, your marriage, your business, or your fitness. If it did, could I ask you that you share it with others? Either leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify, hit us with a five-star rating if you feel deserving, or share it on your social media and tag at Vince Del Monte and at Men of Bedrock if this was an MOB episode. That's the best way to get this work into the hands of others who can also benefit from what we're doing here. Until next time, friends, level up or level off.